cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. I'm Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. It's October the 24th, 2007, and it's been quite the busy week for me. It's also been a very rainy week up here in Canada. It's about the second or third week of rain, and I think we're all shrinking up here and getting smaller by the day. For the newcomers, please look into uh, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. We can download lots of the histories of how we got to where we are today, where we're going, and the big foundations and organizations behind it all. It's a planned society. You can also look into Alan Watt cutting, uh, sentient sentinel, sorry, dot EU, Alan Watt sentient sentinel dot EU for transcripts you can download in the tongues of Europe. And as I say, it's been a busy, it's always busy up here. There's always something going on. And last Sunday, I was standing in the laundromat, watching the dryer going round, watching my own version of As the World Turns at 25 cents per five minutes view, and thinking about the control freaks that run our society, and how cleverly, scientifically, in fact, We've all been conditioned from birth, as our parents were too, to think that we're just progressing steadily along some strange course that only God himself would know. And nothing is further from the truth, because when you hit the big, thick, old books, the old books that used to gather dust on library shelves and were always ignored by the general public, you find the meetings and, and the minutes of the meetings of international foundations discussing the kind of society and the kind of world they hope to bring in to be, and it's all pretty well here. What's happening today with the world is the U.S. takes the lead, as it was designed, in fact, to do. It takes the lead as the policeman of the world, forcing the last few countries into the same system. All of this was written about a long time ago, and you can find some of it as far back as the 1700s. In fact, read the Founding Fathers' comments on the, the Federation of the World and the hope that the United States Federation would be the nucleus of it. Franklin himself said he saw a world federation eventually that would be run by 12 wise men because he was a, a mason and a Kabbalist. They've gone on since then because they've acquired the big foundations came into being through all means that they possibly could. And you can go as far back as the Knights Templars, for instance, 
the first banking establishment, international banking establishment, really that the world has seen, that used paper notes in lieu of actual gold at that time, gold and silver. And you'd get a check from them and travel to the Middle East and cash it in in one of their temples over there. Tremendous bankers. And they even used a giant chessboard for their debts and their credits. That's how they worked it out. That's where the word check, your check that you cash, comes from. I'll be back with more after the following messages. And to continue, as I was talking about tonight's Templars and the tremendous international banking system that they'd set up with all their temples across the Middle East, right all the way back through Europe and even into England, and how they did their debts and their debits and their credits on a huge chessboard, outside chessboard, with big poles that they'd move these, these pieces around on. And that's how they worked out what they'd given out and loans and what they were due back. And even today, the head of the British Treasury is called the Chancellor of the H. Checker because it was on the, like a checker board. And that's where the word check comes from. They dished out paper money, which you could cash in on the other end of there and get it from their temple, come out with gold, etc., in any country. And that was the beginning of it. They also had a, a form of tax-free exemption and all their profits from the Vatican. And they went their own way with that. But they didn't end there, even when old de Molay, or Jake the Mole, as they say, went undercover or was killed because the boys with the treasury escaped. They had a huge flotilla of ships, and a lot of them ended up in Argyllshire in Scotland, where their graves can still be seen today. And they were also into the New World long before Columbus came along, because at Oak Island, they've done the research there and they've found the Templar insignias on various stones that were set up in a Templar fashion again on a particular island, plus they had a treasure buried there. But Queen Elizabeth's first court is where they came out more openly, calling themselves Rosicrucians. They do have different branches. The branches are not in opposition to each other, although sometimes they appear to be. They're actually all specialized branches with their own specialized tasks. But the Rosicrucians that initially came out in Queen Elizabeth I court and who were her advisors were also, uh, not only that, they were also pirates. And their idea was to take as much wealth as they could into their coffers, become extremely wealthy. And as later on, Albert Pike eventually said, we shall become the masters over the masters of the world. Pike also authorized the beginning of the International, International Revolutionary Society that became the Communist Party. And he trained Mazzini, went over to Italy and started the revolution there. Mazzini handed it over and Lenin took over and called it the, the Bolshevik Party. So revolution was one of their main keys, but also gathering the wealth to back it all up was the other part. And this wasn't for the working people or anything like that. As I say, they run both sides of everything. It's to, to garnish wealth, to get power, 
and to become specialists over the public. The public are called the profane, those who are in the darkness. They don't know. That's what it means. But they also see themselves having the right to profit from the herd, another term they use, because that's the function of a herd, and we're also sheep. They are the shepherds. Now, the trick of the shepherd is to convince the sheep that the interests of the shepherd and the sheep both are in the same direction. That's the first con. Once the sheep accept it, they go along through their lives until they're slaughtered and eaten and their wool taken to make the clothes for the good old shepherd, or the wolf, as I prefer to call them. So that's what we've been watching our whole lives. We've been living through this system as they garnish money. They have no problem in coming out in the open once in a while with their big scandals, and they, as they loot the general public, they do it through bank failures, bank collapses, depressions, and all that kind of thing. And they've done it quite a few times in history, even recent history, and I'm sure they have another one lined up, especially with the U.S. dollar down the road. But it's not only that. You see, they see themselves as having the right to scientifically train us, and they set up and they fund the big, the big scientific institutions. Many of the top members of these institutions are also the high masons themselves. And just to read a little bit of this report that came out of Britain is to show you how far the control freaks are going. And this is straight out of George Orwell's 1984. If you remember, Orwell himself started off his book with him in his room, and he has to jump up in front of the television camera and the big television screen and start exercising in front of this image. You can see him because the physical fitness and keeping fit and all this kind of stuff is part of the ultimate training. This is from the independent newspaper, and it says here, unveiled radical prescription for a health crisis, obesity, alcohol abuse, smoking. Britain is amongst the most unhealthy countries in Europe, now a pioneer in the National Health Service advisor is proposing a revolutionary cure for our ills. The Jeremy Lawrence, health editor, 23rd of October, 2007. A radical plan is being unveiled uh, to, uh, sorry, to persuade people to stop smoking, take more exercise, and change their diets, which was proposed last night by a leading government advisor. As new figures were published yesterday showing that England tops the European League as the fattest nation in the EU, Professor Julian Legrand, chair of Health England and a former senior Downing Street aide to Tony Blair, that a completely fresh approach was required by government to reverse the epidemic of obesity and tackle similar ills caused by excess consumption. In a speech to the Royal Statistical Society, they even had the Department of Statistics in Orwell's 1984, Professor Legrand said, instead of requiring people to make healthy choices by giving up smoking, taking exercise, etc., policies should be frames so the healthy option is automatic, in other words, mandatory, and people have to choose deliberately to depart from it. Now, here's what he's suggesting here. He wants uh, a smoking permit, which smokers would have to produce when buying cigarettes, and an exercise hour to be provided by all large companies for their employees, and a ban on salt and processed food. The idea is dubbed libertarian paternalism, reverses the traditional government approach that requires individuals to opt into healthy schemes 
Instead, they would have to opt out to make the unhealthy choice by buying a smoking permit, choosing not to participate in the exercise hour, or adding salt at the table. By preserving individual choice, haha, the approach could be defended against charges of a nanny state, he said. Some people say this is paternalism squared. I like that. Paternalism squared is a mason tong. But at a fundamental level, level again, you're not being made to do anything. If it's not like banning something, it's not prohibition. It's a softer form of paternalism. So it's not totalitarianism. It's, it's paternalism. And this goes on and on go through all the justifications as to why they should do this. Now, those who don't smoke miss the whole point of this, because the old saying is, they came for the socialist, and I wasn't a socialist, so they left me alone. Then they came for this other one, and and all the way down until they came for the gypsies, the Jews, and so on, and the Slavs. But I wasn't one, but they grabbed me anyway at the end, because there's no one left to stand for me. Well, it's the same old thing here. This is the, the beginning of the movement control everything in your life because now they want to bring everyone in annually, this is adults too, and weigh you and keep records on you. That's what it's all about, totalitarianism. You are property because they're the shepherds, you see, and you're the sheep and they always take care of their animals. Now I think we have Kirk in California. Are you there, Kirk? Hello? Kirk in California? Nope. Okay, Andrew in British Columbia. Nope, nobody's there. Well, I'll continue with this particular piece I've been reading here. It's on to say here, permits for smoking could be issued annually and the signatures of a doctor might even be needed. This would require individuals to opt in each year to being a smoker rather than opting out by choosing to give up. Sellers of tobacco from supermarkets to tobacconists would have to see the permit before any sale. To get a permit would involve filling out a form and supplying a photograph as well as paying the required fee. Permits would only be issued to those over 18 and evidence of age would have to be provided. The money raised for the permits would go to the National Health Service, or sure it will. Time for employees to take exercise during the working day, ban on salt and processed food, Restrictions on the sale of alcohol and an extension of the free fruit scheme for children are also among ideas that deserve investigation, he added. Betty McBride, public affairs manager of the British Heart Foundation, said, This sounds like Nanny as Major General. We would have a problem with the smoking permit because it might suggest smoking was all right once you had the permit. <laughs> it's amazing how control freaks think, though, isn't it? But overall, this is exactly the kind of thinking we need to be doing asking tough questions and turning things on their head. Well, they certainly would, wouldn't they? Because they'll also eventually give you a permit for food, you see. And if, you're, if they claim you're obese, you'll have to get a special permit if you want anything with a little fat in it, you know, something tasty. Now, where is all this coming from? Well, the war on smoking, you see, first came from the United Nations. They were the ones who backed it. And they now have a war on obesity. That also comes from the United Nations. United Nations is our big nanny, and they have a big stick as well for other different purposes. But at the moment, they're being the nanny in uh, the socialized countries. And it's only a matter of time before this same mandate is pushed in Canada 
and everywhere else on the world. Now, they never go after the big companies. Now, for 40 years, they've been pushing nothing but ads for the big fast food companies that put all that junk in their food. There's very little nourishment, really. That's why people are obese. Their body craves vitamins, minerals, and proteins. And that big burger there looks like a burger. It you know, smells like one, but it's not really a burger. It's had all of its nutrients removed from it. And people are really hungry, you see, and that's why they eat all that. What they fill them full of is that monosodium glutamate. And that is the stuff that really makes you think you have a taste there. It's a chemical that goes right into your tongue, goes deeper than any natural food, and stimulates it and makes you think you've actually had got some tasty food there. Now, there's no bans against the use of that, apparently. But the big corporations can get away with pretty well anything they want. I tried to get through earlier, but I guess there was a problem with the phone line. Uh, how are you doing this evening? I'm surviving just, yeah. Oh, well. I have a question. Have you ever heard of the uh, Knights Hospitaller or Hospitaller of St. John yeah. of Jerusalem? Yeah. Yeah. Hello? Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm sorry. I could, I could barely hear you. Uh-huh. I, have you ever heard of that organization? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Sure, Could you that, tell me a little bit about them? I mean, as far like, um, are they are they like a Masonic organization? Are they? Yeah, all these organizations. That, see, Knight in itself is Masonic, really. Yeah. Uh, anything to do with the word Knight in it becomes Masonic, and they're builders of society. And the Hospitallers went off, and they had different places. Even I think they had Malta eventually, and became Knights of Malta. And, right. And. Um, and you find different ones joining it uh, all the time, big players that come out and lead the public uh, often get to be Knights of Malta. It's, it's supposedly mainly a Catholic organization, however, for, for higher types of, of Masons, there's also a lower order for Catholics as well, that's the Knights of Columbus, but um, the Knights of Malta are generally much, much wealthier, a different category. You'll find that there's a class system in Masonry as there is within everything else, and all these boys play the same game at the top. Uh, yeah, because the reason I asked, I was um, I was watching a DVD the other day, and it was by a guy by the name of Dr. Leonard Horowitz. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And I was listening to some of the things he said, and, you know, there was a lot of truth in what he was talking about. He was talking about different uh, pandemics, and then he was going into uh, the Committee of 300 and various different things. So I was listening to him. And then after I watched the DVD, I started looking into him, as I, as I do anyone, yeah, he's including you as well. Yeah. And just to, you know, to verify information to see who I'm listening to and what they're all about. Yeah. And I noticed that he got knighted by this group. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so I sent him an email and asked him about it, and, of course, he... He got a little nasty with it. I mean, kind of snippy about it, and he was right. kind of, you know, to the effect of, you know, well, you know, there's good people in every organization and things like that. And I was kind of like going, hmm, this seems a little odd. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. But, I mean, the thing is, too, you've got to be careful with all the leaders they put out into society. I keep telling people that, I mean, even if I go on shows, too, it doesn't mean I necessarily go along with the hosts. 
and um, you know you can get led a merry dance as you're trying to find truth mm-hmm. uh, and there's a lot of uh, religion mixed up with it you'll find there's a lot of belief systems of all kinds you'll find that there's, there's deliberate chills put in there too and you'll find that there are those that come out of nowhere and become very popular had their heavily backed financially and books are just churned out faster than I can visit the washroom which is impossible but that's what happens right and uh, that that's and then they go and get knighted you know yeah that's that's what I know so I, I thought it was, I thought it was very odd that's why I kind of was looking into him and I was going hmm his information seemed pretty good but once I saw that it definitely kind of turned me off to the whole scenario once you start associating with these groups then you have to question uh, what his uh, what his intentions really are at some point, or whoever it might be. Well, the intentions for all authors are, are right there. If you can validate what they say, that's one thing. But when they start coming into bringing the Bible back in and, and to just, just to get good vibrations to cure illnesses, and then you're, you're, you know, you've got to start thinking for yourself. Oh, and, and I definitely do. And that's why when I, was, when I first started watching his things, I was kind of, you know, as as any information I'm seeking out there, I look as many different places as I can. Like I've been reading many of the books that you have uh, recommended. Um, they're very hard to find. A lot of them, uh-huh. or whatever reason that might be. But um, but the ones that I did uh, manage to get a hold of, Tragedy and Hope, and uh, Anglo-American Establishment, uh, the uh, impact of science on society, yeah. as well as a few others. I mean, those have, have really helped me understand. Especially like when you listen to Huxley give his speech, the one in '62 you have on your site. I mean that yeah. that is pretty pretty telling, and uh, I'm just really amazed how they just come out and just tell you. Yeah, and you also find another thing to be careful and watch for uh, if if they come out with all of the the problems that we have, terrify the life out of you, and then promote an organization that belongs to the United Nations to take over a whole department of your life, then that's another little clue. Right, right, because it com- kind of compartmentalizes you in a way. Well, the United kind of- Nations is just going to be one even further government, uh, so remote that none of us can get in touch with, and it's not going to be dem- democratic because the United Nations is not a democratic institution. Yeah, they're not really interested in anything we have to say. They have none, no interest whatsoever. Right, right. You know, okay, so. well, I just wanted to ask you that question, and uh, that was kind of what I was thinking anyway. But yes, uh, uh-huh. I was just kind of curious to lean on your expertise as well. And, um, oh, one other thing real quick. I heard you mention on one of your blurbs, I mean, or it may have been on the show, that you were having a little bit of trouble with your eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh didn't know if you would like a set of glasses donated or anything. Uh, but depending what kind they were, you know, if they were any good. Yeah, well, uh, no, I, I mean, I would send, I would not send you junk. Can I, um, can I leave my uh, number with a fellow, and then whenever you sure have you an opportunity, call me back, and then we can talk a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay, doke. Well, thank you, Alice. Bye now. Now, Andrew from BC's on the line. Are you still there, Andrew? Hello. Hello, is Andrew there? This is not Andrew. Okay, who are you? Uh, this is Jake from Texas. Okay, have you got a question? Well, I, I would like to, to talk Hold on. about... Uh, Hold on, and we'll be back after the break. I hear the music vaguely. Okay, okay, I'll hang on. Okay. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
but, but uh, man on the line there, are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Yeah, continue, please. Well, I, I would like to ask about alien encounters. <laughs> yeah. And well, I, I I hear you chuckle there, but um, I, I have had an alien encounter, and and I am not, I can't quite say if it's been something that was manufactured by the powers that be or the U.S. government or yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, why would you call it an alien encounter if, until you're sure? Well, well, you know, it's the classic thing with the grays and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but, you know, I, it, if it hadn't been for the fact that my mother encountered was with me in the same thing, mm -hmm. I would not... And, and there was also other physical things, like the fact that when I woke up in the morning, I had different clothes on than when uh -huh. I went to sleep. Yeah. And the fact that my shotgun had a round in the chamber, which I don't usually keep one in there when I go to bed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the last thing I remember was racking my shotgun before this happened. I know something happened. Mm-hmm. But, well, something happened, but the thing is, but I don't, I don't you know, know if you know. I I I have a hard time thinking that it was really aliens because I've had other uh, things with the government before. Yeah. And you know, some of these uh, experiments with governments, and they have done these kind of things. You know, when people are put under deep narcosis as opposed to hypnosis. Under hypnosis, the, the hypnotist can suggest anything into anyone. And we've all had massive doses of the greys and all this stuff that started a whole spree of people thinking they were abducted, uh, and that was from Whitley Strieber's book, which turned into a massive movie very quickly. And, uh, and uh, that's what started the whole thing off of abductions. However, under yeah, narcosis yeah, I, therapy... I have read, I have... Yeah, uh, but under narcosis therapy, what you'll, find, material, yeah. what you'll find is that uh, people actually see people in laboratory coats around them and not little aliens, and that's what's very interesting. Well, I, I don't have any, any memory of that particularly, but I, I do have a memory of, of seeing small figures out on the, on the front lawn there, so to speak. Yeah. And my mother also has a history of of encounters with UFOs, or it could have been military aircraft, for all I know. Yeah, and we've had uh, them for a long time. When she was time. a child, and she was living in Roswell, and my grandfather was working on the base in Roswell. Yeah, yeah, and, and we know now that uh, all the governments, Britain too, have bases, and Roswell initially started off, I don't you know that, uh, with the, the American Rocket Institute, that's where it began. Oh, yes, I, and, yeah, and so I you, know you, that. It's got an involvement with experimental aircraft. Uh, Bill Cooper did a fantastic video on Area 51. He took a group of his listeners down there. They photographed these things coming out of underground hangars. This is a military base. They're made here. And uh, the greatest cover they ever had was to, to say, oh, it must be from Mars. And, and everyone suddenly looks at the, the, the stars and never think of looking underground where they actually were being built. <laughs> well, well, my grandfather, I, I was born in, in Albuquerque, mm -hmm. and my grandfather worked at the Air Force Base there. 
Yeah. And he used to, when I was a small child, he'd take me to the base and show me around. And I saw a few things that that uh, I I knew were obviously uh, government projects, mm-hmm. but you would think of them as as UFOs or something like that. Yes, they've got amazing, amazing technology at a high level that's always kept quiet from the public. And uh, we saw that during even the Cold War. Uh, they gave disinformation to the public because it helped the public talk all the time. And they had all this high-tech equipment, uh, the scalar weaponry. They have, uh, they have little saucer-shaped things that can whiz across the sky. I've seen them. I've seen them outside the Lossiemouth Air Force Base in Britain. And these things can stop on a dime. There's no slowing down. They suddenly stop. And uh, these, these, this technology is, is here. Uh, it's, it's not from aliens, though. Well, I, I've also seen plenty of things that, that I'm not sure whether, you know, if they're man-made or, or what mm-hmm. the heck they are. But yeah. um, uh, Well, the I'd, thing is, you've got to remember, there's been a massive campaign no idea. To, to get the public, to, number one, to believe in flying saucers. Right. And John Dewey was the first character that came out and said in a national, international meeting, if we can convince the public uh, that they're being attacked from outer space, we can bring the whole world together as one and bring in their world government system. Uh, here's a quote right from Lester B. Pearson, who was the head of the UN at one time, and eventually he was, a, he was a, uh, the, the, the Prime Minister of Canada. He says, perhaps there is a hopeful possibility here in the conquest of outer space, interplanetary activity may well give us planetary peace. Once we discover Martian spaceships hovering over the Earth's airspace, we will all come together. How dare they threaten us like that, we shall shout, as one at a really united nations. That was, that was said on October the 7th, 1957. Oh, I see. And then out come all the movies, sci-fi, very intriguing stuff. And uh, even had the day the Earth stood still, the whole agenda was a spaceman came down with his robot and convinced the world they better unite under the United Nations or the world would be destroyed. And then, of course, we had all the sightings that started heavily well, publicized. So, so that's why they're not afraid to, to show their technology openly. Yeah, the public now are convinced they come from outer space. Yeah. I understand. And well, uh, I, and I have one more observation. I live here in Texas. Uh, this year we've had record rainfall. Last year we had record drought. Mm-hmm. Now this may be coincidental, but uh, near where I live, um, there were some trailers that were hooked into the gas supply so that they would have power. Mm-hmm. And the name on them was Rain for Rent. Uh-huh, yeah. Those appeared right before that the rain started. They uh-huh. disappeared in the night, yeah. overnight, mm-hmm. right after the rain stopped. Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, I, I know that I've, I've looked up that name on the internet. It's supposedly a reputable company that rents trailers for uh, things uh, uh, transporting whatever sort of uh, uh, yeah. liquids you want.
want or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I remember thought that been, was very major, interesting. There's been major um, ads in newspapers worldwide from Russia, for instance, uh, offering to create the kind of weather that you want, rain, whatever you need, uh, for a certain price. Uh, this is the old technology. It's been used for ages, and uh, we have our own versions of it uh, here in the Americas. And uh, they're using it. That's how they wiped out the farmers out, out west in Canada. They gave them about four years of drought, and then they flooded them out the following year. And you'll well, find always in the standing rain area, uh, standing wave area, you have you have a tremendous heat build up for maybe a hundred odd miles or more, a couple hundred miles. Then you have rain all around the perimeter of it. So that's typical. They're using the stuff right now. It's made for weather warfare. The warfare is on the public to change our ways. Well, the the other reason I I thought of that was they just put in the fiber optic lines for uh, quote the internet, mm-hmm. and I know from working on the the harp type uh, transmitters at the place that made the harp transmitters here in Dallas that uh, uh, those are controlled fiber optically from the place, and I was like. Fiber optics, trailers that say rain, Mm -hmm. it appears and disappears in the night. It can't be a coincidence. And I also know that you could stick one of those transmitters into one of those containers. Sure. And I I didn't see any antennas anywhere, but that doesn't mean that they haven't concealed. Yeah, as I say, you'll find a lot of dirty tricks going on. With government agencies, they have hundreds of agencies going around doing odd kinds of things all over the place under uh, names you'd never suspect generally. But the CIA has run most high-tech companies in the U.S., set them up and run it, and still do, uh, than any other country. So I'm not surprised at all. I've also seen the military do it here in Canada with bringing in big trailers and putting them in a sort of uh, square shape altogether and they have hundreds of small satellites on them all pointing in the same direction. Hundreds of them. So they have mobile units as well, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Okay, thanks for calling okay, in. Okay, thank you very much. Bye. Yeah. So that's what we live in today, as I say. Now, the alien thing is, it was, was a, well put out because science fiction was promoted in the 1800s by a fund from the Rothschild Foundation in England, uh, it eventually became the Futurist Society, where they bring in budding authors. And if you play the game right and you, you say, yes, 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 sir, then they'll give you a contract and tell you what to write. And that's called predictive programming. And, and just like Bertrand Russell said, shortly the public will be able to be convinced of anything with enough propaganda. Well, it's happened, and most propaganda is through stories that we love. They're very interesting and fascinating. They grab our imaginations. And before you know it, everybody's seeing flying saucers and they think they're seeing aliens all over the place. A study that they did on people who were supposedly abducted, they did a a study on 200 of them in the U.S. And they did this in Britain too. And a study with people who had never claimed to be abducted and under hypnosis Pretty well, all of them claimed to be abducted, even the ones who had no memory of it at all. And what they found out was they'd all read the same newspapers, they'd read the same stories. They'd started off with Barney and Betty Hill. It was in in media worldwide, and all the other stories followed up until it was in their subconscious. So that's how it's done. 
It's through programmers, through repetition, repetition. So even our subconscious becomes infected with the idea. And when you're asked the right questions, you'll claim that you're abducted too. You know the formulas, you know what the other one said, and you'll see it happen to you. These are old techniques again. But it's a great cover because the whole idea was to divert the public's uh, knowledge that, that, that governments or governmental agencies were so far ahead scientifically that they'd never catch on. It had to be from out there somewhere, and it's worked very, very, very well indeed. The sciences are always classed in three different levels, from professorship down as the lowest level of science. Higher than the professors, you find that they have high-tech equipment, portable equipment that the CIA use, Nick Bigage demonstrated that on the CBC Canada years ago on Wendy Mesley Hour, where you could put thoughts into a person's head from a distance. They'd hear it in the middle of their head, and this was done by something you'd put into your pocket, like a little TV remote. Obviously solid circuitry, solid state technology, long before the public even heard of transistorized, the bigger stuff. This was already miniaturized in solid state, had to be. And it was all used in the 1950s by, as he said, the CIA. Everything that he showed there was obsolete. And yet nothing was said in major universities about this kind of technology right up until recently. Uh, the higher, higher than them, of course, you have special units that were set up during the Cold War, which really have a, a, an authority or a right to kill, if need be. And they travel around in little white vans around our countries, and these are like the A-teams. The A-team is actually based on certain characters who were given this kind of authority under the, guy, under the direction of the Pentagon. Now, Andrew from Vancouver, are you there? Hello, Andrew. Hello, Andrew from Vancouver. Nope. Now, I guess he's off the line but we'll try and see if he can fit in the last few minutes. But, yeah, so they've had these A-team-type characters going around, funded by the Pentagon, given a clearance higher than CIA. That, that way they couldn't be touched, no matter what they did internally or externally. And they were given all these kind of high-tech equipment that the public would never, ever guess because it was unknown to them. It was outside of her ken, as they say. No one would ever have guessed they had it. They had all the voice-to-skull technologies. They could make you see things, hear things, give you hallucinations, and you go and talk about it, and you could be locked up. Hello? Are you there, Andrew? No. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I have a question about the people way up at the top of the pyramid. Uh-huh. So I'm reading your book, and in um, book two... Mm -hmm. There's a quote. Can I give it? Yeah. Okay, so book two, page 60, it says, No human, accent on human, high priest of the mysteries, could create the great deception that fools the whole world. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. That's pretty dramatic, right? Yeah. Okay, so I thought that that was, a, for me, that was a cliffhanger. Yeah. And so I, <laughs> I went into book three, mm -hmm. and uh, another quote from page 84, yep. it says, Countries fall one by one by subversion 
by a determined group of men of secrecy, a special brotherhood with a cunning and total ruthless something at the top. Something with almost incredible intellect and knowledge of human behavior. Something which plans the future many centuries in advance. And then a little bit earlier, a little bit later, you say, this dark thing. Mm-hmm. And so that sounded almost like the devil or aliens or, I mean, definitely something inhuman because you use that word a couple of pages later yep. in describing that. This yeah, thing. well, there's no doubt that you, you're, you're talking about something that is definitely inhumane. Okay. There's two categories. You've got human and humaneness, and you have inhumanity. Well, then they could just be a bunch of inbred psychopaths. Yes, but there's no doubt they themselves do have a religion. And their religion encompasses things which are pretty well the opposite of what we think of as a a normal, functioning, good, healthy society. Uh, Their ability to to guide society into forms of hell on earth Uh are very, very real, as they've done with world wars and all the other wars they've had before. Um... They, they tell incredible lies to whole nations of people uh, without blinking. Uh-huh. And now psychopaths certainly can do that. But they also have a belief in themselves as, as a form of God. And I think that's the music. We'll be back after. Hang on and we'll talk after the following minute. Yeah, okay.
because they had no compassion for people whatsoever, and they all end up being uh, into eugenics, ultimately. Eugenics, the science of the class types, the ones who should be allowed to survive coming into a next stage and the ones who would have to perish because they were too primitive. These are eugenicists, and that's what we have this under a cloak now of, of bioethics committees. That's a new term for eugenics, as bioethics committees. These pseudoscientists who use science and statistics, etc., to try and justify what they want to do with humanity. They want to improve us, they say, but what they really mean is they want to kill off or cull off inferior types. And you'll find within Masonry, it's the only organization that actually accepts uh, eugenics as being a natural thing, lesser types and better types and higher types of humanity. The profane, the collective masses who never join, never clue into all their cons and games that go on, um, are basically the, the unworthy ones, the ones that have to be wiped out. And they took that from an older religion because it comes from Hinduism that believes in the waves, the waves of theosophy, the waves that come and go through time through millions of years, and that the lesser types are always wiped out at the beginning of a new age. They're not allowed into the new age for fear that they'll bring down those who are rising, as they call it. You've heard of earth rising. Well, this is also the elite rising, the new type of man. The great leap forward, as they keep talking about, that's what that means. It's a eugenics, religious idea. So what is it at the top that they worship? Really, it's their own strange traits, traits that we can't identify with because they are so incredibly clever and inhumane, totally inhumane. And they use doublespeak with everything that they say to us. They say one thing but mean another. That's why we accept all the laws, etc., that come down, thinking they're rather benign until you see the real consequences of them. It's for control purposes, as they control us all along this path into the big sheep pen, where they can then rearrange society, perfect that which was left imperfect, which means us, all of us, you see, the imperfect ones, and eliminate the ones that cannot come through into a new age. That's what it's all about. So science is so close to seance, and it is interesting that they've always used mediums and so on. Even Albert Pike had his own medium. And, of course, it's a great way to justify what you're doing, whether it's a god that tells you you're on the right path, or a spirit, or whoever the, whoever the claim it is. It's good to have something from beyond to justify what really is your own psychopathic nature and your psychopathic plans. From Hamish and myself in Ontario, Canada, it's good night. I mean, your god or your gods go with you.